0: Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll take a look at that in just a, a couple minutes. And uh, this morning, we're going to start a new series. Um, it's called The Forgotten Way. I want to explain it a little bit more. I got it. My beautiful assistant here. so I can say that out loud, because I live with her. So... Um, we're going to start a new series this morning. Now, I'm not a big-time a big car person. I don't know a ton. And I was driving uh, home from a, a funeral that actually I did that with a, a friend, Jerry. And as we were driving home, uh, he mentioned about this car, the Tesla car. Now, I had heard of this car uh, a bit, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it. I more knew about the 80s rock group uh, named Tesla. That's where my connection was. But uh, he started to share with me a little bit about it. And I didn't even know. Uh, sad to say I didn't know it was an electric car. And as he started to share about how amazing this car was and the price tag that went along with it, it would have never dawned on me that uh, it was an electric car, because I don't know, maybe I'm conditioned to think that, you know, electric real slow, and then, you know, the big gas hot rods, you know, fast. You know, I don't know. That's what I grew up thinking, right? But uh, no, he told me all about this car. I was pretty enthralled by it, um, and I actually didn't believe uh, most of what he said, too. So I went home and looked it up, and sure enough, he was dead on uh, with it all. And uh, it was pretty interesting. But I, I did a little more, more research, and I found out that in the early 1900s, did you know that actually about two-thirds of the original cars that they were creating were electric? It started off that way. In fact, it was pretty clear in the early 1900s that the wave of the future of automobile industry was going to be electric. Um, but then, of course, you know, Henry Ford came along, invented uh, mass production, cars got very, very cheap, and of course they were gas, and it all went that way, and, and it's been that way since. Now, if you're you know, at all awake in the last uh, many years here, you'll know that there's this big push back to electric automobiles, and that's what you know they're promoting and wave of the future and all those type of things. Whether we get there or not, I don't know. I don't, I'm not smart enough in those areas. Uh, but it's interesting that it started, I would have never guessed that it started Out that way, that there was technology such in that age to make the cars go and to go a long time, and yet we're returning to this. Now, I mention this because we're starting this four-week series called The Forgotten Way, and we're going to look at some of these wise and practical, efficient instructions that Jesus gave his followers 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and then we're going to ask ourselves the question— Why did Jesus' way of living ever get substituted for anything else along the way? Why is it that some whole cultures even, that some other wisdom became so attractive or so cheap or so easy that we went that way, entire cultures abandoning the ways that Jesus had shared in his word 2,000 years ago for some alternate paths? And so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to ask the question well, how did that all work out? Now, really, the underlining question in this whole series is might it be time for us to return to some of these uh, forgotten ways? And so this morning, I recognize that the things we're going to look at they fly in the face of our contemporary culture. And I have to even confess, they fly in the face sometimes of our contemporary Christian churches as well. But we're going to talk about them nonetheless. This morning, we're going to look first at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to dive right into this passage because it speaks about an issue that affected people in the first century culture, and I'm sure it affects us today in the 21st century culture as well. The issue is the velocity by which we move through life, the velocity, how quickly we move day to day to day in what we do and what we're a part of. The RPM levels really that we reach, and then we try to sustain these in our daily living, our weekly living, and, and so on. So the verse is Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Take a look at it on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Let me read it to you. It says this Don't worry about these things. Now we could stop right there, and that's a pretty good word for a lot of us, right? The Bible times don't worry, don't worry about these things. Saying, What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Now, if you're like me and you have kids, you probably hear the, the question, what's for lunch? What's for dinner? What are we having to eat? Can I have a snack? Uh, all the time, right? The Bible's saying, don't worry. I'm going to have to use this verse every time I hear that with them. Don't worry about it. So, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What will we wear? For people with no faith, after all, run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows your needs Seek the kingdom of God above all else and His righteousness, and He will give you everything you need. It's a, it's a verse, an interesting verse as we read it here because I don't think any of us, not one person who would say they're a believer in Jesus Christ, would look at this verse and say, "Nah, that's that's a load of crock. I don't believe that. <laughs> that's that's not an accurate." Verse, strike that one from, from the Bible. We we agree with this verse. We think this is a very helpful verse. Struggle is, we don't always live this verse. We don't always claim it in our everyday life. Notice that in the third line it says, people with no faith at all, what do they do? They run. They run after a lot of things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? But then the Bible says there, but your heavenly Father knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God. Maybe your translation says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that have been worried about. They'll be given to you. They'll be added to you. So today there's really two groups of people probably when we look at a passage like this. First of all, there's this group we would say is the running after group. You know what I'm talking about? The running after, where we're constantly running after something. We're constantly go, go, go for the purpose of either getting something or getting to a certain level or achieving something in our life. We're just constantly running after a thing. And then there would be the seek first crowd as well. Let me tell you, when you look at these things, there's a lot of things we would say in our Christian church and in our culture that they can kind of coexist, God being first, and God leads us, and it defines some of the stuff we do. But when we look at these things, the running after and the seek of first, no connection. (laughs) They're like polar opposites in the way we would live our lives. The running, 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 or the seeking first, it's dramatically different. That's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. question would be, uh, do, you, do you run much? Anybody? I mean physical exercise, real running, right? Here. <laughs> so you don't have to confess all, your, all your, your running after from the spiritual sense yet. So yeah, uh, running. Some of you guys like to run, like, like real exercise. You like to run around. I don't understand it, but uh, some of you like that. You get out and you put on you know, your shoes that you're excited about, and you get out on, on pavement and run. Um, We have two cars in the driveway. I don't really understand this this strategy of transportation. But uh, we get out and we run around. um, And you know, some of you are are wired that way, maybe a little weird that way. Um, Sometimes, uh, really for years, uh, I would look at a person running down the road and in my head I would ask the question, Why are you running? (laughs) What what could you possibly be accomplishing by that running? Um, Well, really, that's exactly what Jesus is asking about the first century here. He's saying... Why are you running? Why are you running after things so hard here? Why are you chasing after these things so hard? Chasing to own things, chasing the things you'd eat, worried sick that if you slow down your pace, you're not going to get all the stuff that you think you need to get, or that life will have like a less zest or something in it than it would before. That's the question Jesus is asking right now. Now, the follow-up question to the question Jesus is asking, why are people running so after so much stuff, is this question. And we can't avoid this question. There's no way around it. What will be the unintended consequences of people who run too much? There's always unintended consequences to a lot of things in life, right? And when we run, 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 we have to ask the question, what will be the unintended consequences of people who run too much? Now, we live in a running-after culture, do we not? Yeah, we live in a pretty pretty fast-paced running culture. Did you know in the last 20 years, working time has increased by 15%? Some of you are like, only 15%? So not my schedule. Yeah, working time has increased by about 15%. Leisure time has decreased by about 33%. Now you say, that sounds about right. So... Leisure time, 33%. We're, we're, we get emails like crazy. We get advertisements that we're kind of assaulted with all the time. A record number of people, you may, may not have known this, a record number of people require sleep medication because our brains are just process so much stuff in an average day. It's just hard. It's hard to click it off and, and lay down and, and get rest. Yeah, I read this week that the average person today receives more information in a single day than some way living 100 years ago received in their whole lifetime. Hard to comprehend in one day. That's pretty staggering. We're living in this time, this culture, with this need for speed mentality. And you know what? I'm a part of this. I look on my days and my weeks sometimes and think, man, I ran hard this week. Not out on the pavement like some of you, but uh, man, I ran hard in my life this week. And there's these unintended consequences for running, for this chasing, this hurriedness in our life. And we have to feel these unintended consequences. They come. Some of you may know that a few years ago uh, in Montana, they actually had these street signs uh, in the mountains. And they've taken them down now, but they were all over the mountains. And it said, speed kills is what they said. You know, these yellow signs that you see around. And it said, speed kills. Now, they made them take them down. I guess it was a little too strong of a message for them. But this morning, that's kind of what we're talking about. Speed kills. And when Jesus is talking here, I mean, he's really saying, look, a speedy life, a hurried life, a fast-paced life, a crazy life like this will eventually lead to something dead in our lives. Yeah, think about in our lives how you would develop a relationship with your spouse if you were just running, running, and running. Did you know that, that the average divorce rate for couples that see each other just an hour a day over a three-year period is 73%. 73%. Meaning if we get in this mode where we're not connecting with our spouse and we're in this run, run, run type of busyness, three-fourths of them can't sustain that relationship. Speed kills is what... It's telling us what Jesus is talking about. Andy Stanley wrote this book called Choosing to Cheat. And in this book, when he says choosing to cheat, he says, look, you're never going to have enough time to do everything you want to do. All you want to accomplish at work, all you want to accomplish with your hobbies or with your friends, and all you want to accomplish with your family. At some point, point, he, he uses the term cheat, you're going to have to cheat time with somebody, right? You have to cheat time somewhere. And he says, don't cheat your family because your family will be incredibly patient with you. You show up late to work a couple times, guess what? You're done. You're out. You know, they'll, they'll send you packing. You show up late to home, you can do it for four, five, six years in a row. And the family's incredibly patient. And then they wake up one morning, is what he says here, and, he, and they say, this isn't working, and I'm out. And it costs us a ton in our life. Because speed kills. It kills relationship. It kills our momentum in life as well. When we get at this high RPM level where we're just go, 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 go all the time, it's pretty hard to have the great belly laughs of joy in our life or even the the crying in the sad times. We get in this monotone type of feeling because it, speed kills. It kills us physically. We know that sometimes we're just drained and we're just dead and we're tired and we can't get going and it affects us physically over time as well, the stress that dictates how our body functions. So there's these unintended consequences that a life of running after, what it brings. But did you know that one of the biggest unintended consequences that really hurts our life is the effect on our spiritual growth and on our spiritual life? This crazy, busy life sometimes, even for those that are crazy, busy, hurried for the sake of the kingdom, we often find that our spiritual growth is hurt and that it suffers the most. There is a reveal survey that was done years back, and um, here's some of the questions that were asked on this reveal survey. It was all done of Christians. Here's one question. What is it that keeps you from reading a portion of God's Word every day and absorbing it and applying it to your life? Can you guess the response to that question? Yeah, you got it. Busyness. All right. Second question. What is it that keeps you from daily prayer that connects you deeply with God? Can you guess the, the number one response there? Yeah, you got it already. Uh Uh-huh. What keeps you from a time of solitude when you listen to God's voice and worship alone with Him? Yeah, you guessed it on these. No matter what the question was asked, no one put in there, in their response, well, sin. You know, I'm just sinning so much. I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't do those things because I'm just sinning all the time. Now, that, that wasn't, that wasn't a deep answer that was on there. And nobody really said, you know, well, I convert to a cult during the week, you know, usually. And, by Sunday, I'm back with you guys, but during the week, I kind of convert, and then I'm back and forth, and I, you know, I, just, I just never latch on. They didn't answer that way. And more questions. Why, didn't you, why don't you love joining a small group of believers and, and connecting to deep community in God's word? Why wouldn't you bring, a, bring your family into God's house every week? Why wouldn't you use your gifts and talents to invest in the life of others? Guess the response on all of these. You know it. It's busyness. It's busyness. It's just too busy. Now, some of us don't describe it that way. We say something like this. We say, my life is so full, I just can't fit anything else into my life right now. And we get caught in this running after that we're talking about. So, question this morning, what do we do about this? What do we do? How does this change in our life? My guess is, if all of us were really honest— we would say, man, I feel like I fit into that category often in my life, where I'm just running, running. And I look at my schedule, and it seems to be filled up with a lot of good things, even godly things. But it just seems like I'm running, running after. Running. You know, uh, when I was coaching baseball, um, in the last several years, you might have noticed these handshakes that have gotten pretty elaborate when you watch sports on TV. They got these things where they're, you know, they're doing all this stuff and bumping and jumping, and it's all choreographed and how they do it, and so these two guys will get together, and, and they'll figure out this, and maybe something good happens on the field, and they go up to each other, and you know, all this stuff happens. And I decided as coaching, I wanted one of those handshakes for myself. I I talked to one of my players, Raphael, and I said, Raphael, teach me a handshake. Let's come up with one. And then every time something good happens, I'm going to do this handshake with you. So he did. And it was crazy. It was like 50 moves or so on this, this handshake. And it ended with, you know, kind of jumping and and bumping tailbones and stuff like that. Um, I learned something, though, in those handshakes. I couldn't get it. I, I had to practice that thing like crazy to get those handshakes. I would never could, could keep it going. I was, I was off by move eight, nine, or ten in this handshake. And it just, you know, when you see it on TV and they do it and it's just, you know, it's pretty cool. But when you watch somebody do it and they don't get it right, they don't get it matched up, it's not nearly as cool. And when you're the coach trying to do it and you don't match it up, you know, just forget about it. You know, don't even try. Just, you know, just a little, you know, clap like this and it would be just fine. Turn back to your clipboard and go, um... I learned that it took too much practice. I didn't want to practice that long. I wanted a handshake, but I certainly did not want to practice and work at it to create a handshake. The reason I say that this morning is for the next four weeks, when we talk about the forgotten way, we want to look back on some disciplines of the faith that will help us battle some of these things we're talking about. Really, this morning, Jesus has taught us these disciplines of the faith, things that we can do, that we can put into practice in our daily life that will help us overcome these difficulties we deal with in life, especially the running after. Jesus calls it in this passage, what? He calls it the seek first mentality. Now, seek first, the first being the important word on there. I seek a lot of things at a lot, a lot of times, but in different situations, I'm not always seeking that thing first. When I seek the thing first, what I'm saying is, I think this is the most important thing for me, that which everything else will be measured or interpreted by. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying when we seek first God's kingdom, when we seek first him, we live this lifestyle of seeking first that everything else that follows after that we can interpret based on what we sought after. Now, if you're like me, maybe your mornings during school are a little crazy, trying to get the kids up, get them ready for school, get them out the door. Um, Usually there's a... Don't shake your head no, Deb, over there. Now now I'm going to feel... I feel like i 'm doing it all wrong here. all right no, no you 're right. I, I, I expect that out of you, Deb so, but it it 's craziness trying to get the kids out the door. Now, I usually give about the same speech every single morning. I say, "Look, get done what you have to get done first, and then if you have time, you can play or do whatever you need after that. You know instead of me coming out you know with breakfast on the table and somebody 's riding their bike up and down the street or, or those crazy type of things that, that go on. Um, and I say that same speech, just get, get done what you need to get done. I just must have terrible uh, verbiage in how I'm saying it, because there is no sink in on it uh, at all. Um, and really, the, Jesus is saying, look, what do you need to do first? What's the first thing you need to get done in your life before you move on with the rest of your day, with, with your schedule and what you're after? He's saying that's the seek first mentality. So this morning, here's what we're going to talk about. We want to talk and finish off talking about the lord's sabbath when we talk about seeking first god's kingdom often in our contemporary church setting we narrow that down to about a 15 minute or a five minute devotional in the morning if you get yourself up in the morning and if you can't get up in the morning it's okay just do it before you go to bed at night but we boil it down to just kind of a a few five ten minutes get into god's word read a little bit pray a little bit and then move on with your life i have found though as, as somebody who practices that devotion, I have found that it doesn't cure the tiredness. It doesn't take away the running after mentality. It often can even become something that I just check off the list of the day and then I move right on to that big list of other things and I start the running, just started a little 15 minutes after I would have started it. This morning though, I wanna, I wanna share with you that God has created a way for you. He has offered a way for you to find rest, to find rest in your life. And he's offered it every single week, and he calls it the Sabbath. You see, in the contemporary church, we have pushed away from the Sabbath. And you know why we've done that is because we have felt like the Sabbath has become a very legalistic thing. Legalistic in the sense of, here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do. Legalistic in the sense that, you know, you're a little nervous to tell me you're going out to lunch afterward, because I may look negative on you for going to a restaurant and having lunch somewhere and, and making a waitress actually serve you today. Um, we got caught up in these legalistic sense of the word Sabbath. Now, some of it, it, it we find, even in God's word, we find that the, the Pharisees in the in the New Testament, some of the religious leaders, they got caught up in this legalistic side of it. They got caught up at times where they weren't so sure, well, should they do this or not do this on the Sabbath? Well, let's all get together and we'll decide and we'll kind of write a rule into place and we'll add it on there so that we can make sure we cover everything so everybody knows How many steps can you take on the Sabbath? What can you do and what can you not do? Jesus pushed hard against this. But why did Jesus push hard against this mentality? Why? Jesus knew something that we often miss even in the contemporary church. Jesus knew our bodies were designed for the Sabbath. We are designed. You can't function without a Sabbath and function the way God intended you to function. How do we know this? Because we can look back in the law, or we can look at what the Pharisees talked about in the New Testament? No, not at all. In fact, we take our Bibles and we go all the way back to the beginning of God's word in the book of Genesis. If you don't have your Bible, take a look up on the screen. You see, at the beginning, Jesus was the cre- or, excuse me, God was the creator. God came to earth, and He created everything that we know. And then after six days, what does the Bible tell us that God did? It says he rested. Take a look at it in His Word, chapter two, starting in verse one. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work and He began that He had been doing. So, on the seventh day, He rested from all His work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. You see, here is God Almighty. Who the Bible tells us in Isaiah, he never tires, he never slumbers, and yet he rests. You see, God is creating something that goes into us as his creation, and it is the need for rest. And here in his word, he is saying this need for daily or weekly rest, a Sabbath. You see, often when we think of Sabbath, we think of one thing right away. Well, I got to get to church that day. I want to tell you this morning, this is not a sermon about telling you on the Sabbath you need to get to church. I think you can read God's word and you can find how valuable it is to be in God's family. But sometimes when we have the Sabbath out of, out of connection in our life or in disarray in our life, even church becomes another chore, another thing as part of the running after experience. You see, in the very beginning, God created you and I with the need for rest. We find it right there in his word in creation. And so my body is designed to need rest. And it's called the Sabbath. But often in our lives, if we're not careful, we go hard seven days a week. We go hard 30 days a month. And we go hard and hard and hard. And before we know it, we've not seen anything anything closely related to rest in our lives. And so what happens in our life? We start to say things like, oh, I just got to get away. I just need a vacation. I got to get down and see Mickey Mouse, and we've got to get away. Nothing wrong with vacation, and nothing wrong with getting down to Disney World, but when our life is just so consumed in our busyness that we just have this need, I've got to get away sometime, got to get away sometimes. Guess what God's saying? I've designed it every week of your life. I've designed your body to rest every single week. Now the question comes in right away for you logistical people and practical people. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Can I cut my grass on, on the Sabbath? The Sabbath is designed for rest. And Jesus later, what does he say in his word all the way in, book, in the book of Mark? Jesus, when he's pushing on this, he says to them, these religious leaders, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know what Jesus is saying there? Look, the Sabbath was created for man. It was for you. It was created. It wasn't created so that we could create a big list of rules and regulations like the Pharisees were doing that would be dictated upon you. It was created for you to rest. It was created for you to have refreshment. It was created for you to be able to start your week off feeling like feeling like you just got a little shut off time. What does that look like for you? I, I can't tell you exactly. One has told me before that getting out and mowing the lawn is incredibly relaxing for them. Sounds like a Sabbath. Wouldn't be at my house, but sounds like a, habit, a, a Sabbath. That rest. For me to go home and to, to pull together all the church calendars and start working through the church calendars, um, I wouldn't find great rest in that. Doesn't sound like a Sabbath. Sabbath is rest. Getting away. Getting away from what you normally do. What occupies your schedule. If you're a student, it's setting those books aside, shutting them for a period of time, and resting, getting away from it, enjoying something different. And maybe for you, if, if you're locked into to work where you feel like, man, it, once it gets to 12 o'clock today and I get home at 12.30, then I can open up the computer and crank into the emails and get going because I've got the worship portion of it. You've missed the Sabbath altogether. You've missed what God has created us for in the Sabbath. He's created us to go home and rest. Go enjoy your day. Go find refreshment. Take your nap. Enjoy your time with your family. But rest. That's what the Bible's saying. And we titled this The Forgotten Way because we have often forgot this. We forgot it in our Christian life. And I would implore you, if you were to practice this, even if you need a testing period to see if it's really true, but if you would put it into play in your life to take that one day, treat it as a Sabbath, rest. Put aside the works that that need to get done and just put it aside. I would I would expect incredible testimony of the refreshment the Lord has brought to your life, the insight that He maybe He's brought to your business when you get back to it, or the joy He might have brought even when you're running around and carpooling all the kids here and there and everywhere. You see Jesus is saying here, The Sabbath was made for you, for you to be able to rest, for your body to be renewed and if we seek after that, then we find something totally different in our Christianity. We find that in, the, in God's Word, both in Genesis and Mark type here, no mention of two-week vacation in here. No, week, no mention of, of trips and getaway trips and trips to the Disneyland and those type of things. They're all fine. But Jesus doesn't mention that as his key way for us to find refreshment. He says it's found in the Sabbath. If we take the time to rest... Now remember this morning I said that this is not a sermon about telling you you need to get to church on Sunday and have perfect attendance on Sunday and that type of thing. And then you have fulfilled the Sabbath and you're good to go with whatever else you want to do. There was a time uh, in my pastoral life when we had an early service at a church. And I remember people saying, I really like to get to the early service so I can get on with the day or get on with my work in there. I can't say as a pastor we overly enjoy hearing that. <laughs> I need to check that off so I can get on and do you know what I really want to do with the day. But in an essence, I understand what's being said. This day, we're going we're gonna to do something different. Tomorrow, Monday morning, I'm going to head into the office and of my work, and I'm going to be flooded from Monday through Saturday. And I'm going to take this Sunday, I'm going to make sure that we rest in a different way. We're going to go to the park and fly that kite, or we're going to go drive around and see some things we haven't seen We're going to get together and play that game as a family or whatever is rest. And the Lord says, that's great. And we'll find an interesting thing that when we start to use the Sabbath and own the Sabbath and honor the Sabbath and rest on the Sabbath, we'll find an incredible thing. Worship will be incredibly more meaningful to us. When we come into God's house and we spend time in his house, it'll cease being a chore that we need to do scramble everybody together, get everybody in the car, dad in the driver's seat screaming and yelling because nobody's next to him, and finally getting into the door, five minutes late, half embarrassed, you know, that you're walking in late, it becomes less of a chore and becomes more of this joyful worship experience. Guess what? Because it's Sabbath. It's not our day to run. Schedule's off. We've clicked that off. Calendar is meaningless that day. It's a rest, now this morning, I know for some of you as we, as we close up here, I know it'll be hard to imagine. In fact, already in your head, you've had some things rolling through your head like, well, I can't do that. My work schedule doesn't allow that. I can't do that here. We, you It know, just doesn't work here. We have travel ball. We have this and that, and I can't do that. Um, this morning, I, I, if that's you, my assignment for you this week, my encouragement for you this week is to put it into your prayer life. Even if it's just that, that five or 15 minutes every morning to put it in and say, God, How would you lead me to having a Sabbath? How can you open up the doors in my family's life that we could rest once a week, a full day once a week that we could rest, that we could step out of normal life? I tell you, for me, um, we don't let our kids play their baseball on Sunday afternoons. And I want to tell you, it has nothing to do with it being the church day. It has nothing to do with missing church even because there's always games in the afternoon that we can play. For us, it has everything to do with rest. Rest. It has everything to do with breaking out of the normal pattern of hopping in the car with all the gear and rushing off to some little league site to play a few games and resting and taking a time out that looks different. It looks different for mom. It looks different for dad. It looks different for kids. And it's a day of rest. Go in the woods, have fun, run around, do something different. But rest, do something different. You'll be amazed if you allow the Lord to work a Sabbath into your life the refreshment that you'll find, and you'll be amazed, the connection as the song we sang earlier, the praise to God, the connection that it brings you to him as well. Well, this morning, let me pray for you in this because I realize this is, this is something that kind of flies in the face of our culture and even our contemporary church culture. And for you this morning, it may even be a struggle and a challenge to put it into play and or even to own the concept. But this morning, I wanna pray for you in that respect and encourage you to go before God this week. Let him open up that in your life. And the the results will be amazing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And that really outside of your word, how, how would we know how to seek you first? Outside of your word, how would we know the blessings and the provisions and the joy that you have to offer us? How would we know about your grace and your salvation? And Lord, how would we really know what your Sabbath actually means? And Lord, forgive us in the church world over the years for for messing with the Sabbath and messing it all up. And, and Lord, forgive us in the clergy world for making people feel guilty that church attendance is all that the Sabbath has to offer. Lord, that, that's missing the mark entirely. This morning, my prayer, Lord, for every single one of us here is that we would find the joy and fulfillment and refreshment that, that honoring a Sabbath would bring to our life that when we set aside time just to rest, to get away from the running after all week long, when we get away from the striving to to just do, 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 to provide for our families and ourselves, and we just rest, Lord, you bring different perspective into our whole life. And that's what seeking first is, Lord. And so, Lord, this morning, I know for some this is a great challenge to even begin to think about how to incorporate it in. Lord, I pray for them especially if there's something in their life that they need to surrender before you, I pray that they do it. If there's some way that you want to just kind of tweak their thinking and their their eyes on this, Lord, I pray that you would do it. But Lord, I want the blessing for every single one of us to know what living a Sabbath really has to offer our life. Lord, thank you that you have this great plan you created all the way back at creation and it's relevant for us today. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you. I hope you have a, a great week and a great a day. Uh, my kids are going with grandparents all uh, week long, so uh, it's date week at our house, all right? So uh, it's going to be gonna be awesome. So, I mean, we'll miss you kids, of course, a lot, but it's going to be awesome. So, yeah, so, yeah. We're going to take our, our tithes and offering as we finish off here, So and then our uh, priest team's going to lead us out singing again. So what I want to invite you to stand, and if you would, stay faithful in your, your tithes and offerings and just drop in your basket if you happen to be new with us and you filled out one of the cards that are in front of you we'd love to connect with you tell you a little bit more about the church and how you can plug in just drop those cards uh, in as well or if you don't have time just leave them on your seat when you head out as well or give it to one of us that'd be great so what hey see you're doing following instructions great job Dave watch you stand we'll sing one more